You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. This is your boy Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. I am so happy to have this person on right now. I mean, he has a dope book project coming out for Matt Cave Studios, folks called Eden Frost. All right. So this man is not just a comic book writer, but he's also a very successful animated director and also an award-winning filmmaker. Let me introduce to the scene the one, the only meet. This slow, hey, my homie. How you doing? Woo. Pretty good, pretty good. Still have a voice, so I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, enough. folks, do not be mistaken. No, he is not a heavy metal singer. He is a comic book writer and more. All right, when he talks about his voice, he has been on the scene telling people about the greatness of this fantastic project that is Eden Frost and a whole lot more. Ain't that right? Well, I'll tell you this. The biggest disappointment for people is finding out that I'm not a musician of any kind. Like, I <laughs> I have no rhythm. I can't play shit. Like, you try to give me, like, a guitar, good luck. Like, I'll be able to smash it very successfully. But other than that, nah. And they play folks, music. <laughs> you got the, it's the look for hire if, if, if you want. There you go. Right? <laughs> well, I like the music. I just can't play it. Yeah, hey, man, listen, I, in, in the green room, I tend to play some music, and I was trying to get home to move. He just stood there staring at me, and he goes, no, Al, not, not from me. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Very honest, man. Thank you. Indeed. Well, you know what, my brother, thank you so much for, you know, coming on, hanging out with me today, and talking about not just this dope book, but a little bit more about yourself for those that are unaware, if you will, all right? Because I know you, you, you've been around the game, you know, you've been doing some things, you know, across different drama, which is amazing. But, you know, let's reel it back just a tad, if you will. And, you know, tell us where you hail from and what was the first thing in fandom that you ever fell in love with? Oh, okay. That, that last question is a hard one. I'll do my best with <laughs> caveats like I do everything else. So, okay, like general bio, I'm originally from Tel Aviv, Israel. I started my career as a 2D animator on both TV shows and software products, like, you know, interactive educational simulations, games, etc. And nowadays, I'm a creative director of the LA-based media agency, Pure Imagination Studios. And over here, I'm charged with developing immersive branded entertainment experiences for essentially their big film studio clientele. So that means games, augmented reality apps, location-based experiences, and more. And by night, also an independent writer for comic books, IP development for TV, games, and more. As far as my, my first big pop culture passion, it's a hard one to answer, but I can say this. One of the, the, the two earliest that come into mind, because I always go like, okay, the first two things that come into mind are probably the ones. So I'm just going to say these. It was Spider-Man. I've always right. been a big Spider-Man fan. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was hugely into that. All right. Um, All right. So which version, though, of both? Was it the animated I, or the comics? It was the animated. Like, I grew up right. on the animated series and from their movies and kind okay. of everything else. Uh, but that's more or less that was the gem. I started. And it kind of drew me into the entertainment industry. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So then talk about that journey, though, being an animator and then becoming a comic book writer and a director. I mean, how is that journey? I mean, what was that learning curve? Did you even have the intention of diving into this from when you were young? Yeah. Oh, the intention was definitely there, like, from very early on in kind of a, I guess, creepy way. My mom <laughs> still quotes the fact that, like, when I was... When I was already 12, I knew which school I wanted to go to. When I was before that, I was just like, one day I'm going to, you know, I actually said, arrogantly so, I'm going to move to the States and I'm going to do, bleh, I'm going to make TV shows. I'm going to. Yeah, you okay. manifest. Oh, man, you're a magician with that long hair is because he's the wizard, folks. There you go. He manifested. That is the, that, that is the wizardry of, of the Samson <laughs> hair right there. Where... <laughs> if, if it was as easy as manifesting something, maybe. <laughs> Maybe that wouldn't have shaved off some years from my life, but it was it was a pretty 
it was a pretty hard journey or a harrowing journey. Like if you think of, I, I kind of, you know, I went professionally the way that I moved from Israel to the States, which was not an easy process. It was through my skills in animation, right? Uh, because that's a trade skill. That's something that you can sell, that you can actually make a salary, that you can get a visa based on if you're lucky enough. Oh. So though that was my, let's say, trade skill. So you studied animation in Israel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I studied my undergrad in Israel, and I studied grad school here, which was kind of my entryway uh, into and, and, and and what was that year? What 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 what? That year was, was I moved to the states in 2010. Oh, all right. 2010. Yeah. All right. So 13 yeah. years ago from this point. Yeah. Right, yeah. 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> Hope, but, but it's but, been a lucky 13 for you. <laughs> you know what? To, to address your question, like it's I I kind of my passion didn't start from animation. I always loved it as a medium, like most kids do. But it actually right. did start from comics. Um, okay. I was a comic reader in a time period that comics were very, very hard to get your hands on back in Israel in you know early nineties. Yeah. Like that was not a really? thing. So wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. How did you even know about comics? Did you get put on it? You happen to find this on your own? You know, that might be a question for my parents. I have no idea. Or although I think I do know why. So I started with a lot of local stuff. Right, yeah. there were lo- local comic book artists that put their work on in, you know, like teen magazines and stuff like that, and that's kind of where I started. Where I learned about, you know, American comic books, I honestly don't remember. It's been a while, but my <laughs> guess is that probably came from animation, right? So, because yeah. even looking at like early drawings that my mom keeps, all of these, so like if you look at like very early drawings, like. When I was eight, I was trying to like sketch out Spider Man, right? Okay. Not a normal thing to do, I guess. But but that was and, and I was doing movie. Voltron, you know, when I was a kid. There you so. go, there you go. And that's the stuff that you saw on TV. So it was only a matter of time before you know, oh, this is a comic book character. So wait, it's also in this medium. That's kind of where that started from. And when you first draw, you're not really thinking of how to get into film because film production almost feels abstract or unattainable but comics feels like something that you might be able to do yourself so that's where you start kind of honing in your craft and i think that's where i kind of had my gateway drug into that was my gateway drug into like Mm. superhero comics like a lot of the local stuff and and trying to drive myself i kind of turned into a marvel fan early on and getting my hands on a comic was always a massive challenge because the only store that would sell them. Like now there are actual comic book shops, not a lot, but yeah. they exist. Back in the day, you'd have to hop on a bus 30, 40 minutes into the center of town just to be able to get your hands on whatever really? comic they have there or something. Yeah, Whoa. it was really, really niche. A lot of the stuff that I loved as a kid. Man, you're telling me I could have traveled to Israel with a box full of comics and been pimping and making (laughs) some good money? (laughs) Well, but that's the thing. Nowadays, everything is widely accessible, right? We're in the age of the internet, and there are comic book shops. I'm a 90s child. I mean, I'm a 90s dandy. I I was those kids going on a bike from Brooklyn to Queens. You know, to, to get comic books, you know, for 50 cents, yeah. the dollar boxes, start bin diving. Because my boy said, yo, I know a shop. You know what? We don't got money for the train, so we're going to... Listen, that was like a one-hour bike drive. Yeah. But it was so well worth it. With a book yeah, pack full of exactly. comics on the way back home. <laughs> exactly. Once you get your hands on it, you're like, aha, the new, I don't know, like, Clone Saga, Age of Apocalypse, whatever was running at that yeah, time. You know, and, and, and that's money, but talking shit about your favorite characters, they're talking oh, totally. smack about. Hey, did you, yo, you gotta read this. Like, yeah, your, your character is a herb. You see what homie did, you know? Type joint. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. good times. Yeah. Good times, brother. Yeah, it's it's a journey, right? It's a journey where you feel like you've earned the treasure that you uh, managed to get. And you know, at the same time period, I also really got into video games. So I would be into all the niche things that. A lot of kids weren't into at the time. Okay. Again, now it's different. You're right. You're right. In that era, listen, uh, to be a gamer, there's things we talked about. You know, that you know, you had your yeah. select group of friends if you had that. Exactly. If you had exactly. that. Otherwise, you know, 
you know, I mean, I'm a New Yorker. I was lucky. I had a group of friends, and together we go to the arcades back in Times Square when they still had the arcades. You know, yeah. we broke night several times playing, you know, to you know, beating Mortal Kombat, beating Street Fighter, X-Men, you know, uh, the <laughs> Turtles, the arcades, you know, doing all that awesome, fun stuff. You know, yeah. almost getting beat up because you're killing everybody in Street Fighter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and same like we, so we had one arcade that was in the same like in the center of town, and there was one Mortal Kombat machine that was sitting in a bodega in my neighborhood. There was a oh, line yeah, of kids yeah. behind, that, behind that machine because that's the most accessible thing that you Wait, can get your hands you on. You said bodega, so when you came to the states, where did you come? So this was not in the states. I'm I'm using the word bodega as a short. Like as a short okay. man, oh, they got bodegas in Israel. Then I know how they Wait do. <laughs> they do, but we call it uh, we call it pizzutia, which pizzutia? I'm not even bothered like what that means. But essentially, it's like a little store that sells you know, candy, drinks, yeah. whatever right. that. Andre type joint, but yeah, and it's a very common thing. Like you'll see it all across town. The closest oh, equivalent right. is. A New York bodega. It's not exactly the same, but it's the closest equivalent. So yeah, listen, <laughs> you got me already. I can't wait to visit Tel Aviv one day. I gotta visit one of these. There you go. If it's as close as it comes, I'm gonna be happy because Florida had no bodega. So you telling me yeah. out of country, I can find something close. I'm happy. <laughs> All yeah. right. So, so let's talk about something here. How does your background in animation, if you will, influence your approach to storytelling and in, in, in comic books? Yeah, I mean that's a good question because. It actually has a really significant effect on, I think, how I direct a scene and how I write a scene. Because, you know, when you study animation traditionally, you go through all the steps of production. You go through, you know, from writing to storyboarding, character design, back. You kind of learn everything and you become better or worse at some of these things. And that's how you find your specific skill that, that you're selling for work. But it does it does force you to think in a more in cinematic ways or in, in, a, in cinematic terms, which by the way, could also be a trap because those two mediums are very different. So being able to address when, when you get into comic book writing script formats themselves, they look different and the dynamic between screenwriter and whatever team puts together the thing also varies wildly. Comics are a lot smaller. The production teams are much, much smaller TV and games can both, you know, start from teams of 10 to teams of hundreds, right? If it's a feature film, thousands sometimes. Like, you would have a lot of people that put their hands on it doing different things. So the scale changes, but also the way you think about how to direct a scene or how you pace things out, especially if you're coming from being used to storyboarding. And I think there is a nice middle ground, I hope, that's what I managed to reach. It's what I aspire to, a nice middle ground where I can flex a lot of the cinematic thinking and put it into how I write comics with still while still respecting the medium itself and leveraging both its limitations and strengths because those are significant to us eventually, like what, what your user experience is going to be. So, yeah, it, it has affected how I write things, how I see things, even how I put right. together my pitch decks and how I design it, how I talk about it. Uh, uh, I love I, that. Yeah. So this actually leads into the next question. You know, how do you see the intersection of animation and comics in today's entertainment landscape? <sighs> Damn. Holy curveballs, man. <laughs> um, so this is... I'll, I'll take it one. You know? Yeah, no, I, I dig it. So I'll take it one step beyond. I'll say that there is an intersection, not like this is the media intersection in general. It's animation, live action, if you want to put it under the category of linear video-based media, video games, and comics. Now more than ever, it used to be slightly more siloed, slightly to significantly more siloed, depending on the time period. And you would even hear it with, you know, conversations uh, for people from comics versus people from TV, how they talk to each other, how they view each other in industry events where they have to interact. There was a lot more segregation. Whereas I think today, the way from a business perspective, the way everybody sees it is essentially intellectual property. It's IP, right? 
a property is malleable. If it's a good property or most properties, it is malleable and it could be adapted potentially to more than one medium if it's done right. Because theoretically, you can adapt everything to anything, but you know, you might end up with shit if you don't do it correctly, or you might not respect the the source material. But today, we've seen enough examples of you know one thing being translated from one medium to another successfully and respectfully, right? And that kind of checks off all the boxes for everybody involved, which is the fan base is mostly happy, mostly. Then you have the businesses, right, like that are involved with it being happy. And they also check off the boxes of we've managed to both make our existing audience accept this transition and we've also reached new audiences that will now perhaps some of them or a segment of them will be interested in the source material. That's like your, that's a crown jewel. That's what you want to aim for. So we're in a really interesting time because we're not just seeing, you know, the way that the comic industry functions today is that really they they want to still produce good comics, but they also know that from a business perspective, they have to think of whatever they invested is in as an intellectual property that can be malleable because stunted growth, right? Your business Uh has to make money. And the way to sustain, to do what you love to do is to see it in greater terms because comic sales alone won't cut it if your business wants to grow. So they have to think strategically. And I think that actually broke a lot of the barriers that existed before between people from these industries. So I think it's interesting because I'm not just seeing this go from, hey, comics to live action, comics to... Because in the end, comics is a good place to start, right? Comics is a good place to start because production-wise, it's cheaper than making a video game and easier than making a video game. And it's cheaper than making a film or an animated show. Absolutely. Uh, but there's still... But there's It'll still lead into that. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot of them see it as a good starting point because it gets you some industry validation like hey we've put it out there somebody's already invested in it you tested out the product and you found an audience there's something there right if there's an audience there's something there there's something you could do with it so it's a great like testing ground while also being able to stand on its own because some people will just like it in one form or another some people only watch an anime and never read the manga and vice versa and this is also happening with video games right? You're all of a Mm -hmm. sudden seeing properties that used to be one thing, even just a toy, right? It used to be like, hey, what are most animated shows on TV? Commercials for toys, right? (laughs) Commissioned commercials for toys. Yep, yep. Um, Make a Transformers, G.I. Joe, Go Exactly. Oh, that's the key, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was really to sell toys. So the starting point is no longer, oh, it has to start like this and end like this. It's can we turn this into an intellectual property that can be malleable and flexible and expand to other mediums? It started cross-industry conversations that I've never quite seen before in this form. And I think it's good because I think it kind of flattens the entertainment industry a bit ex- instead of like siloing it. Yeah, And it um, also aligns the fandom, you know, across stuff. And yeah. Frank Romantic over here is showing you massive love. Shout out to Frantic Romantic. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> he is a beloved co-worker project manager at your imagination studios we both work so hi mike you're awesome hey that, that, that's what pie for life is there you go pie for <laughs> life there we go you should have put yeah. that as a hashtag pie for life folks all right pi sort of love the fact <laughs> romantic all right so Talk about diving into creating your first comic book project. What's that mm. like? What was your learning curve like? I mean, what yeah. made you jump into find, to saying like, all right, let me go ahead and do this. It's time. <laughs> From yeah, you know, creator. It, it was it was also like everything that I've ever done. It was kind of a, it's never a straight line. It was a journey of a lot of experimentation and a lot of different logic-based reasoning and, and just gut feeling sometimes. This is this forces me to kind of backtrack a little bit. You know, like I've been experimenting with producing comics in different forms, whether it's like just web, you know, like web shorts, like little strips uh, to actually up. Yeah, like or just producing like a piece of comic just to see how 
that whole pipeline is done. So I've done that in multiple spots as almost like oh. practice or for fun. When when it was done professionally for the first time, Eden Frost, the title that is about to come out with Mad Cave, wasn't the first one, right? This you wasn't mean, the this first baby, title. Uh, this wonderful baby is coming out soon. Wasn't the first one, all right? So it wasn't the first one. To we'll get, get into that entry. soon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it wasn't the first one to get developed and pitched to publishers. So I've been like developing and pitching again. Let's just put it in the bucket of intellectual properties because I've done it as TV shows. I've pitched games before. Like I pitch a lot of different properties again with this like, multimedia. You're a pitcher, bro. You're, you're like Roger Clem, Doc Gooden. You know, you, I mean, you you pitching Sandy Koufax. You pitching out there. You know, de- dealing, wheeling, and dealing from back in the day, hustling. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it it teaches you a lot. It teaches you a lot about. A, how your idea can be conveyed to other people, what works, what actually gets an emotional reaction, what drives other people to want to consume any product of any kind. How did you even learn that, brother? I mean, did the school teach you that, or was that really experience? Or just that being is, you, being a me? It's, honestly, it's that. It's <laughs> I'm the guy who would walk into a new workplace and just go like, all right, so who's the boss here? Ah, that's their door. Slam, boom, you knock it down. I go like, hey, I have some stuff I want to pass by you. That's, that's <laughs> what I've always been. The forward I'm guy. Right? So it's a lot of trial and error, which I still believe. I believe people should make more mistakes, as many as possible, because that teaches you a lot, as long as you know that you've made right. a mistake. I've learned many <laughs> lessons. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of this came from literally, it's two things. Experimentation. B, like three things. So experimentation, there is a little bit of research. You actually have to look up like, okay, how does this process work? So you don't just come in like an overconfident idiot. And there is also soliciting help, just asking people for random acts of kindness. Like, hey, you are doing this kind of thing. I want to learn more about it because it's something I want to pursue or something that I want to explore. I've like, I've, gone on to like watch some shows before saw some of the credits of like who the showrunners were and i went okay this name this name this name ran to facebook <laughs> added them and just went like hey i have some questions can i take you out to lunch because i love that it, and, and that ended up i ended up developing friendships like that see, all right so uh, wait wait before you even move forward so see that approach works people don't be shy take life yeah. by the you know I'm, you know, maybe I'll offend some people here, but I got to go with the old school saying, you got to grab life by the balls <laughs> and just go for it. So yeah, whatever you want to fathom horns, boy. Yeah. And just go, go with it. Yo, do it. I mean, look at him he, and he, he made connections happen. I mean, it, that's wonderful though. Why? Because you came with a wonderful energy. You know, you came, you know, enthusiastic about a project, I'm sure. And it's like, yeah, yeah and, 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 and sometimes you also just come from a point of humility, which, by the way, I'm not the most modest person in the world. Can you tell? But it's not that. It's, it's You come from the knowledge of like, here is something I don't know. This person knows a lot more than me about this topic. So I'm just going to say, hey, this is who I am. So they get some validation. You're not coming out of nowhere, right? I'm in the end in the same industry. But I come in and say, Hey, I want to learn more about this. Feel free to, you know, completely ignore me. And a lot of them would, but would you be down? Like, I'll take you out to lunch. Just tell me, tell me whatever, you know, like, can I ask you some questions? And some people don't respond to it. And some people do. And those random acts of kindness are usually people who have been there before, still have the empathy because they remember what it feels like. Fuck yeah, man. There and they wanna... know. Right? Like, and you know that you remember that. You're like, oh, if only I had that kind of yes. person. Oh, just- preach. Oh, me, preach. I always tell people, I wish I had somebody like me back in the day that I could just pop. <laughs> and listen, don't be afraid to ask me. I'm an open book. I don't give a shit. Oh, <laughs> why not? Why yeah. not? Yeah. What's wrong with and, that? And that? I'll share. That has worked out, right? So the same thing goes to pitches. Like, when I came in, I came in because I managed to make friendships, develop connections that helped get me there. I had, uh, you kind of do it simultaneously as you work. So you also build your professional credibility, right? 
And that really changes the entire dynamic. So when I got to comics, I was, I've optioned TV shows before and I've been heavily in both like technology games and TV for the last decade or so. And I also noticed how a lot of the, let's say, entertainment landscape changed. Now, Eden Frost is a title that I've developed alone, but I don't always work alone. So like I actually have a writing partner I create a lot of properties with. When I was saying, oh, this wasn't the first, that's what I was alluding to. So Elliot Pearl is a good friend of mine. He is a co-creator on a lot of the next titles that are coming out as well. He's, again, industry friend, worked for years on Bob's Burgers, Great North, animator. We used to work together on, you know, like a bunch of shows for like HBO and and WWE networks. And we've been pitching together for years as well, right? So I'll be doing it individually and with him. We kind of saw, first of all, there's a lot of dumb luck. And anybody that tells you otherwise, Bullshit. A lot of dumb luck. Um, But even to get the chance of benefiting from dumb luck, there is some groundwork being done. And for us, there was this realization that the entertainment landscape is changing in how it's looking at incoming stories and how it, again, looking at intellectual properties as something that goes across media. And we're both fans of comics, right? Like he's a heavier comic consumer than I am. And we just went like, you know what? Some of these things might today, because of the diversity in comics in general, they might actually work instead of pitching them to a Why are we even going to bother with that? This could be a good fit for this medium. And once again, you do it, you do the research. We actually hired and worked with artists just in order to practice and learn the craft. So you're not coming in. A guy from different industry did. So all this years of research and all of this work, you put a lot of groundwork to show, hey, these are professionals that are essentially coming in and saying, this could work well in this medium, but it's not just the same. We've adapted it so that it could work in the way that it works. And we started pitching things together. We ended up, and again, this is where you kind of, I guess, strike gold and stupid luck. (laughs) We ended up getting like four originals, essentially greenlit in all in one year. What? Eden Frost wasn't Eden Frost was maybe the last one, but it's the first to come out. The rest hey. are going to come out between between 20 like throughout 2024 and early 2025. Okay. There's three more titles, can't say much about that yet. Some of them are with Humanoids Publishing, uh, another one aside from Eden Frost with with Mad Cave Studios, and oh. that's what kicked off that journey. And once again, by that point you're not a newcomer to anything because even getting to a lot of these publishers we leveraged the expansive network that we had people who we could call upon that worked in comics much longer than any of us ever did and could tell us like oh you should literally how we got to humanoids was a friend of a friend told us oh uh yeah you might want to look at them because they're looking for this kind of thing because we showed them what we were developing they might be interested that was the first one Right, wonderful. So that stuff is really significant. Talking to people openly about totally. soliciting help, showing what you have, because once again, some people will ignore you, and, and some and, and-, and asking them for their opinion. When once you have them locked, you know, ask them exactly. right there. Okay, so why doesn't this work for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or okay, yeah. who do you think? You know, exactly. Use that network. Talk, sweet talk. Get them another drink. Hey, hold on. Get them another gin and vodka or whatever. You know, I got more questions. Hold on, baby. And, and yeah. you better get that soda. You stay sober as hell and just take notes. <laughs> Look, I, I think it's important that people don't drink their Kool-Aid a little too much. And <laughs> if they don't buy into, let's say, romantic narratives too much. That's just part of my personal philosophy. Oh, you're right. Everybody you're can right. disagree. But I do oh, think right. it's, to know, it's important to know who you're appealing to. It's important to know who you're talking to. It's And it's important to be objective about the fact that in the end, no matter what we want to do, this is part of an entertainment industry. We are producing in one form or another a consumer product. Mm-hmm. That is extremely important when you face the fact that I feel like a lot of people in my field, again, I was just a craftsman, an animator for many, many years. People treat everything as their baby. The minute I hear that, I'm like, no, man, you gotta you gotta be ready to drown some of these babies. 
gotta <laughs> skin them, redress them as something else because these are not your babies, right? Reword right? that it's not your baby, you know. Maybe it's just yeah. a poop you took. Maybe, hey, look, it looks like somebody, doesn't it? But we got to flush it down at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes you do, and you have to be objective because it isn't your real baby. People, don't flush your real babies down the toilet. No, no, no. Flush no. your poop, no, not your baby. These aren't babies. <laughs> exactly. These aren't your babies, right? These are creative projects that need to adapt, that need to change, and that you're never going to be objective about. You birth them, yes, but you got to release them. Just like mama birds do, right? They release their little birdies and it's a wrap, you know? They're done. They're out there flying. So fly, birdie, fly. (laughs) So so somebody gives you, sorry, you said like if somebody gives you feedback, right? Not all feedback is good feedback, but all feedback comes from a certain place, right? You have to have at least some awareness to know if somebody reacts this way to the thing I have presented, maybe I'm maybe I do need to adjust it a little bit. Maybe I do, like be adaptable. A lot of the things that I ended up selling went through multiple iterations. Some of them, some of these things that are about to come out, went through more than seven years of iterations. Wow! Like that's the truth. Yeah, and multiple wow. versions with significant changes. So, so that's so really basically important. from concept to now. Yeah. It, 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 they're different, totally. Like the, the core concepts usually stay similar. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you always start from, you always revolve around that core idea that you believe in that, that got it started. But everything else, the details, some of the characters, their dynamics, the world, the context, the world exactly. All of these things are adaptable. They can change. And sometimes, you know, and you see that even with adaptation, sometimes some adaptations just feel all of a sudden outdated. Because things that have worked or were very relevant to a certain time don't always hold up in the world today. It's important to be objective about that. Because as a professional, that's also part of your job. And that goes a little bit outside of just the creator. Okay, okay. All right. We got, we got, we got to keep going over here because I want to get into this <laughs> wonderful book. You got to start on this dope book that's going to be dropping in the fall. So for, for people on the first, let me once again show it and put this baby on screen. So talk about this for me. What inspired the concept of what is Eden Frost? And what are the themes that readers can expect to encounter? Okay. All right. So a lot of questions. I'll try to address them all. And if I forget anything that you ask me to say, just let me know. So I think the best way to think about Eden Frost is that it's, it's essentially a historical fiction series adventure drama comic that essentially tells the story, the tale of two young siblings, Alex and Yuli, that use the mystical power of a golem, and I'll put that in giant air quotes, I'll address that in a second, (laughs) to survive the chaos of the Russian Civil War. As was mentioned before, it is my debut original comic series with Mad Cave Studios, and at its core, it all revolves around, and this goes into your question about themes or statements. It's all around the topic of identity. Now, and I can get deeper into that if you want, but in general, it's it's very tense, it's epic, it's mysterious, and it completely reimagines the classic Jewish folk myth of the golem, which, you know, in its classical form was supposed to be this sculpted monstrosity that was handcrafted and brought to life to defend Jewish people in diaspora against anti-Semitic pogroms. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was to create a modernized version of this creature by taking bits and pieces that inspired me from different works of media in order to create something that's new and fresh. And I'm just taking that element and injecting it into a historical setting that's uniquely relevant to the type of story I'm trying to tell and to the statement behind it. As, as, let's say, a generalization, the series discusses racism, ethnic bias, all through the lens of anti-Semitism, political philosophy, and the interplay between the two throughout human history. And it does it in a pretty unique way. Now, as far as the statement itself, which I think is a thing worth addressing. Talk about it, baby. Talk about yeah. it. Thank you. So one of the things I'm trying to say, and I think it, it it'll... It ends up impacting 
every single character and every single element of the story is that identity is an intellectual construct. It's fluid, it's ever-changing, it's a product of an intelligent civilization as opposed to a law of nature. And as a construct, it's important to be weary of the potential to weaponize it. Because when it gets weaponized, it can be used to unite, divide, or annihilate or target any group. In the end, we are tribal species. We are creatures who are unintentionally but naturally put emotion first and rational thinking second, no matter how reasonable we really think that we are. And uh, Reasonable? That, and, and that... What, what? I said, who's reasonable? What are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. But you got to be honest about that, right? Because it is a vulnerability. And let's be fair. I think especially the last few years, we've seen how this vulnerability can be exploited. So unless we're constantly aware that that's a vulnerability and never forget that the true nature of identity is context-sensitive and ever-changing, that it's a subjective idea, we are more likely to act smart when facing its weaponization and exploitation. That's that moment that you mm-hmm. mentioned of like, and mm-hmm. then I stopped myself for a second because I had that other thought. That is such an important thing. And one of my yeah. hopes is that in this context, I can leave that with the readers, that mm-hmm. they'll start viewing the idea of identity for all of its forms as an intellectual construct, even though they know it is, People don't act or react like it yes. is. Awaken um, to it. Awaken to the yeah, fact yeah. that it is at the end of the Exactly. Day. And that acknowledgement might actually make people on all sides see each other as human. And, you know, like... Which uh, is, which is what, what I want at the end of the day, too. I say yeah. that shit all the time. I say, are we humans at the end of the day living out? I, say, <laughs> I can't wait till the aliens come. I say that jokingly, but the day that real aliens come, everybody's going to be like, yeah, you got my back. Yeah, I got yours, you know? Color, race, now ain't going to matter. It's going to be earthlings, us humans, exactly. aliens. Exactly, exactly. They'll just see you through one thing. You know, right. again, because I come from a Jewish background, I take it from a Jewish perspective because <laughs> that's a story that I can tell. And yeah. but, but that logic isn't exclusive to anti-Semitism. That's the whole point that Eden Frost is trying to make. It's not a story about necessarily Jews in diaspora. Uh, that's just the POV, it is a story about identity. You know, the, the fact that this same vulnerability can be and has been weaponized and exploited to persecute so many groups. All you really need is a goal, an agenda. It's never about morality. It's never about ethics. It's never about purity. It's always about power. It's about power and it's about control. And awareness forces you to question what you're being presented with. And sometimes that's all you need to prevent yourself from doing something really bad. Amazing, amazing. All right, so I want to ask you here. Yeah. Elaborate on that collab. You know, you know, touching on such deep topics, if you will. Elaborate on that collaboration and process between you and Mad Cave Studios. You know, in bringing Eden Frost to life. You know, especially with such you know uh, amazing themes like that. Because I know Mad Cave is definitely you know a very forward-thinking publisher, yeah. but in something like this, you know, talk about that creative process and bringing this baby to life them yeah absolutely so first of all you know I, I think a good place to start with this is just acknowledging mad cave studios have been amazing to work with and they were very supportive i i kind of came in with this concept just coming and swinging right man are you are he went from pitching to swinging oh man all, all, <laughs> Look, all these baseball acronyms do you like baseball <laughs> dude i don't <laughs> I don't like any sports. Oh, shit. <laughs> Terminology. But I don't give a shit about the game, all right? Love it. It's, it's absolutely true. But see, know your audience. Your, the audience would recognize it. That's all you need. It's a shorthand. That's why I used Bodega before. <laughs> yeah, um, I love it. Give me, some, give me those Bodegas. I'm about to visit Tel Aviv, man. Come on now. If it gets the point across, solid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So they've been amazing to work with and they've been very open and very just supportive of my vision of it. And I think that that to begin with was just a great experience that definitely differentiates itself. Like the differences between indie comics and let's say television development are pretty serious and indie comics are a lot more creator driven. Mm. Now, one of the things that I am so thankful for is 
and this is where I give huge shout outs that I keep doing throughout all these interviews because they are important to the team that they built around this. Because you come in as a creator and writer going, okay, I built all these art guides. I built all of these presentations. I, I'm going to write the entire thing. But as a publisher, they bring in not just marketing, but also building the team, like the mm-hmm. editor, the letterer, the artist, and they match them with you while keeping the concepts and what you want to convey in mind. May and I ask? How is the matching process between writer and artist? Because I, I would think that's very, very important because it's got to be yeah. you know, a synergy, if you will, you know, in that process. Absolutely. Okay, so that's a great opportunity to get into that. So this happens, and again, this is without internally seeing the conversations that I'm not involved with, but you know, the editor-in-chief, the publisher, and my editor, who's James B. Emmett, who's freaking... Just, he's amazing, right? One of the best project managers, editors I've worked with for years and cares a lot about his work. So him and Chris, the publisher, have essentially, you know, the, the process goes like they show you lists of artists and we brainstorm. We say like, okay, we think these are a good fit. And, you know, some of them I'll go like, yeah, this won't be great. This one, eh, I'm, not so much. I mean, I'm, la- I'm laughing. Like, you know, it, it's just like they put you into a police station. It's like, look through this book. Who did it? <laughs> there are all of the usual. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's how you vet, right? To make sure that all you're right. on the same page. And then once you have your short lists and you go through multiple of them, they reach out and see if they can strike a deal because, you know, scheduling and pricing and everything like that. Right. And they do that with all everybody else that's involved, letterer and artist, in titles that also require a colorist, which in our case isn't, that's also a component. They matched me with Bruno Frenda, who is an Italian artist, and he is, you've seen his work now, it is phenomenal. I mean, look at it, look at it. This is gorgeous. Look at the panel structure, the page. I mean, the page itself is a full page that then incorporates four panels on top, you know, so beautiful, and then just the pacing of it and, yeah. and the lettering, you know, looking like it was ripped out yes. of, of, of a book. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and that, and that's the second thing, right? Like they also brought a letterer, Taylor Esposito, who's very experienced. And once oh, again, yeah. just a killer goes in, gets the job oh, done yeah. fast, adaptable, gets what I'm trying to do. And I think that's, that's the big aspect of this that's really important mm-hmm. is the team that they constructed all care about their own craft and you can see it and feel it but I also feel like there is a very good matching. They, I, I told Bruno this in an email literally today when I was like, I feel like you're in my head, right? Where often I'm, I saw this, especially in his work early on, because I looked at his portfolio. He loves a lot of the same works of media that I like, right? And that helps a lot because I use shorthands and I use a lot of references. I'm trying to construct this scene, this kind of scene. And this character is supposed to project this. And if you're inspired by a lot of the same things that's just you got really lucky because the other person just gets where you're going both emotionally and narratively and they know how to apply it and everyone whether it's taylor or bruno or even james were able to kind of harness this and i think part of it is just communication and part of it is just good matching and good craftsmanship and what it produces is a product that looks and functions like this and that's an amazing thing to see. So I consider myself really, really lucky with all of this work and, and a team that I really greatly value. Like, I'm just glad that they're part of this journey because you wouldn't get this particular product the way that it looks now. You wouldn't get it without all of these people involved. And we got to show people here again. Look at that publication that right there we're looking at November, all right? So again, you have time, folks. So all you gotta do is, is go to, you know, start asking your comic shop, look through that diamond, it's gonna be coming up soon. The code to be available on the Medicaid website real soon. So you could get those pre-ordered. Or if not, you can even pre-order it on the site. Look at that, it. it's only $4.99, baby. <laughs> what? To be delving into a brand new comic book world? Heck yeah, you got me so baby. You gotta make that happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? For real. So, you know, what are we talking about here in in terms of the the series? How many issues? You know, how long is the story? What we got here when it comes to eating frog? Yeah. So right now we're starting with, I kind of split it into story arcs. Like it's a, it's a limited series. So it's going, it has a beginning, middle, end. It's not something that's going to go forever. And part of it is just the setting. I know exactly where the end point is going to be, 
but it's going to be multiple story arcs that happen throughout this time period of around four years, right? Or five years in these characters' lives. So right now we're starting with the first arc, which is going to be four issues, right? They're going to tell kind of like, get us to a certain milestone. And then, you know, as things continue, it's going to be another arc and another oh, arc. You're going to leave us on a cliffhanger and make us wait months before we go to the next one, teasing us on me. And then you're going to be like, well, the only way you're going to know about this, I got to tease you on more podcasts. I mean, he already knows what he's doing. He already knows. Pimping. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, but, you know, like, because the experience that I want to create is also the kinds of experiences that inspired me to get into this entire industry to begin with. I always loved that. I loved when there was a when there was a feeling, and this is a personal preference. I loved the feeling that the creator or the team that created a certain property knew where it was going, and that I'm writing it along, and that they're not giving it to me all at once, right? Like you're leaving me with wanting more. That is both a frustrating and a wonderful feeling because you feel like you've had this new discovery. You're invested in something. And of course, it's also how the medium functions. But I can guarantee to whoever enjoys this, you'll know pretty quickly. Within these four issues, they leave a lot of questions unanswered, but they give you just enough so that you kind of get where I'm going with this or you get a feeling about the vibe of the entire series. And if you're sold, you're going to keep with it, hopefully. <laughs> See, well, again, it's dropping in November. How easy is that? Now. That's right. That's right. Two more questions. Just two more questions, my man. Come on. <laughs> the next to last is, are you going to be doing any conventions? Is that in the forefront? What's popping? Where can we see you? You know, at least start talking about these books. So I know this drops in November. Unless you're going to be having some ash cans or something that you're going to be teasing. You know, let us know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there, there's stuff that I can't announce yet, but will be announced. But on a very basic level, I did actually... I went to San Diego Comic-Con. So I was there for a very short time. It was very last minute, but actually made it for like a quick signing. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it? Was it your first? Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't my first. It was, I used to go there as, you know, for both like meetings. As a regular. Okay. And as a regular, like as a, you know, industry professional pass, you just go in, you go. I got me. It was like Norm from Cheers. You go to San Diego. I got you. I got you. Well, you strategically you go there to meet people that you work with. It's like a lot of the, for you, it's kind of like, it's half pleasure, half business. And then at a certain point, I basically went, when I got really into like, okay, now I'm pitching stuff, I'm developing. I actually went, I, the next, I'm no longer going to any of these. The next time I go to one of them, it's going to be because I got invited for my thing, for my ah, story. Man. That was it. So... That that's it. I mean, he ain't paying for shit. You better invite me because I'm a creator. I've been doing this. I mean, I got value. We got to get you on some panels and talking about animation, filmmaking. We got to get you talking about... I mean, you got what? So many topics to discuss. Panels. What are you guys doing, conventions? You guys are missing out. Yeah, so New York Comic Con. New York Comic Con. I'm, I'm in going there. To be there. Oh, you like, oh, we gotta connect, yeah. brother. We gotta. I'm gonna be there. I'm Sounds already amazing. in the press. My, my 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 tickets are on the way, baby. So I can't. We're gonna do it, and we're gonna have. I'm gonna be in Mad Cave's booth, and oh, there's gonna be more announcements related to that. But yes, I'll be there the entire time. It's gonna be fun, definitely. And I don't know between New York Comic Con and next year, but because I have essentially like multiple titles, both me and Elliot have like stuff coming out. Now until 2025, I'm probably going to be in all the major cons at the very least. Others, we'll see. There we go. There we go. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give those aspiring creators looking to diversify their creative skill set like you have? Oof. Well, that's, I mean, it goes into, I guess, career advice in general. Don't double down on the one thing that you know how to do. Adapt. Always learn, always be curious, always learn new tools, try different things and don't be afraid to fail because you will. That's a good thing. You fail, you learn a lot from it and you can apply that moving forward. That's that's probably the best piece of advice I can give and it's something that definitely was drilled into my head by my parents over the years and it makes a big difference. It really makes a big difference. 
Oh, heck yeah. I remember I would, I, I would fail and then I would get the belt, get hit a couple of times. I never failed again. You know what I mean? <laughs> My yeah, parents definitely yeah. drilled that shit in me, boy. <laughs> yeah. How do you know if you did something wrong nice if you way. didn't fail? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And get smacked for it on top of it. I think that, that, that's yeah. back in the day, you know, adult teachings, that's a parenting. <laughs> not, not the belt. Yeah. Man, back then I said to me call the cops. Man, I get, I get. You know what? They they told me literally, go and do that. I will literally wait for the cop to arrive and beat your ass in front of them. I'm like, okay. That's hardcore. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Did I want to test, mom? No, no, no. I did not. All right. So with that, folks, you know what to do. Don't test your mama. And and no. of course, you got to support this amazing book that's dropping in November for Mad K, which is an amazing publisher with a. a fire line of amazing books yeah. as well but i mean i and his people got this gem called eden frost dropping so you know you want to stay tuned you don't know what i mean is going on you know check him out on x or twitter because he refuses to say x is twitter <laughs> hey. wrath of tish instagram <laughs> amit dot tishler linkedin amit tishler all right no at well i just put that there because you know well, you know what to do all right i'm an old fogey and this is what i do all right and and, and with that you can also check out more of me at his website at amitisla.com slash mindsplatter. Mindsplatter is a newsletter that I'm running on my website. So you can see my Ooh. entire website. But that one I'm essentially writing to both other industry professionals, people who are interested in what I do in general. It's a lot of fun. So you can actually see it in that archive, almost like a magazine. There we go. <laughs> there we go, folks. And lastly, most importantly... Visit at madcapestudios.com. Check out the part for Eden Frost, number one. Again, dropping in November. You can put that pre-order in. Make it happen. Support independent comics. Support. Look at this. Diversified creative individual like this guy. Web. Why, you know, a triple threat in comics. You know what I mean? <laughs> Here we go, man. I can't wait to see. Yo, all right. This is actually the last. Right before we go. If this could be anything other than a comic book, what would you want it to be? Oh. Mm. You know what? With this one, it's easier. I would say animated show. Animated show. I would say Ooh. animated show. Yeah. There you go. All this right. One, now that he said it, and since it's his childhood, he was manifesting. He just manifested his show, folks. Stay tuned on Hulu or Netflix real soon because he's going to be dropping. He just manifest. It's being done. It's done. You're going to get the contract like in a couple of hours right now. Jeez, bro. I mean, it's a fireable wizard, folks. There we go. <laughs> there we go, folks. For show the love. Thank everybody for tuning in to the Comic Crusaders podcast. I'm your host, Al Mega. Please check out the website, comicrusaders.com. My extended family at over at Undercover K dot com. They, my well, man Johnny Hughes got amazing shows like Outside the Panels. You know, we got No Price Podcast, Definitive Crusade, K-Pop Cosmos, a whole lot more. And again, I'm going to show this website one more time. You can follow me everywhere on social, you know, his websites and on the Mac at websites. The notes are below. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Hasta la próxima, mi gente. Thank you so much. Epa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 